1: Broadstairs Consulting believes that crisis isn't an if, it's a when. And although we are unafraid of crisis, we've never known one to be resolved in a single day. However long the day or night that gave rise to it in the first place, there's always something we can learn. Tune in now to The Longest Day, a short and snappy weekly crisis podcast where we interview leaders about crises emerging on their watch. New episodes released every Thursday. Hello and welcome. This is Royfield Brown, who today is in Ottawa, the capital of Canada. I'm here to see my son I have some father and son bonding time. And we're going to over the border to Quebec and go to Montreal. Excitement ensues. But today on the podcast, we're talking to George Laws Garcia. He is with the Puerto Rico Statehood Council and he boasts over 18 years of experience in public policy and intergovernmental affairs. Throughout his career, George has advise a diverse range of influential figures from governors to members of Congress, to federal agencies and national non-profit organisations. His expertise spans a wide array of sectors, including economic development, homeland and national security and education, but to name a few. And as we said, he currently holds the position of the Executive Director at the Puerto Rico Statehood Council. Now, George's commitment to Puerto Rico's aspirations is evident throughout his career and this is a really interesting show for us because we have talked about watching DC's drive towards statehood in a previous show some months ago so there are parallels but also some distinctions between the journey of Puerto Rico and DC how both these territories present a unique challenges to the United States and to its governance but also to the citizens there And their representation.
0: Puerto Rico's political status remains in limbo. The House reintroduced the bill to change the territory into a state, but not everyone is on board. CBS 2's Shosh Pedrosian is in the Bronx with details. Doing right by the people of Puerto Rico required. That the crossfire came to an end. Outside of Congress on Thursday, legislators discussed the reintroduction of the bipartisan bill to change the future of Puerto Rico. So the purpose of the Puerto Rico Status Act is to empower the people of Puerto Rico to decide their destiny. Congressman Richie Torres, who co-sponsored the bill, explains it would offer the people of Puerto Rico the option to determine the future of the island's political power. Right now, under a territory status, it limits Puerto Rico's ability to access federal resources, voting power, and political representation. This bill is about finally giving puerto rico the representation it deserves the bill explains voters in puerto rico will be able to choose three territorial status options of statehood independence or a sovereignty and free association
1: without any further ado george how the devil are you today
0: thank you so much for having me on your show it's a pleasure to be here and hello to your audience as the executive director of the puerto rico statehood council our organization is dedicated to advancing full equality and democracy for the U.S. citizens of Puerto Rico. We're a 501c4 nonpartisan, nonprofit organization. We're based out of Washington, D.C., but our supporters come not only from individual citizens on the island, but citizens throughout the entire United States. And uh, we work to ensure that. Uh, There's good, high-quality information about this issue out there in the public domain because, unfortunately, a lot of the mainstream media doesn't really cover this issue, which we see as a national civil rights issue and an issue of democratic governance that impacts areas like voting rights and national security. And then we also work directly to lobby Congress and make sure that we build up support for addressing this issue in Congress. And then we also work with grassroots advocates because ultimately this is a citizen movement and our role is to empower them with good information and good opportunities to engage with lawmakers and engage with their elected officials to make their voices heard.
1: Perfectly put. Before we dive into the history and let's say the internal politics of, of Puerto Rico, Quite simply, because you did talk about this is a civil rights issue. What are citizens of Puerto Rico, who are American citizens, not able to do because of the status of the territory? Sure. So America was founded on the principle of government by
0: consent of the governed. It's enshrined into the Declaration of Independence. And the U.S. Constitution is a legal mechanism that basically sets up a structure where citizens can have a say in the government that makes the laws that they live under. However, the rights for citizens only are fully able to take place and be executed when they live inside of a state. U.S. citizens who live in territories, which are essentially possessions of the United States, they're pieces of property that the U.S. Congress holds on behalf of the American people, you can be a born US citizen there, like myself. I was born in Puerto Rico. Uh, people in Puerto Rico have been US citizens for over 100, and, uh, I think, four years at this point um, by federal statute, yet we don't have any voting representation in the US Congress. We only have one member uh, that represents us in the House, our resident commissioner, who can vote in committee but can't vote on the floor. And we don't have a full House delegation that's to our population. We have zero representation in the United States Senate. And when presidential elections come around, we can vote in the party primaries, but we can't actually vote in the general election for president. And this is fundamentally unjust because Puerto Rico is still subject to federal laws. So every single day, the 3.2 million U.S. citizens in Puerto Rico are subject to federal laws that impact everything from labor laws, international commerce, trade and finance, banking, environmental issues, you name it, and yet we don't really have a say in not only what those laws are like and who makes them, but how they get implemented through the federal executive branch. And that really goes directly against that
1: founding value of government by consent of the governed. I'm fascinated about the history of the United States, hence one of the reasons why I, I do this podcast. And if I kind of contrast the acquisition of Hawaii with Puerto Rico, it happens round about the same time. Yeah, so Hawaii doesn't become a territory and then a state because of war with Spain, admittedly. The U.S. overthrows the legitimate uh, kingdom mm-hmm. there. But the two histories then diverge somewhat. Hawaii is a state. Why has Puerto Rico not been able to gain statehood? The history is
0: really fascinating. They, they were both acquired around the same time, which is in the case of Puerto Rico, 1898, when the Spanish American War uh, broke out. And this year, we have the dubious distinction of having to celebrate the 125th anniversary of the signing of the Treaty of Paris which is the treaty of peace where Spain essentially ceded Puerto Rico, the Philippines, Cuba, and and Guam to the United States because the United States had won the war. So in, in the case of Hawaii, the resolution that was approved in Congress at the time, I think it was the Newlands Resolution, when the federal government took over Hawaii after the kingdom had been overturned there, It specified that the people of Hawaii were to be United States citizens. And there was a series of uh, court decisions in the early 20th century that are now known as the insular cases in which the U.S. Supreme Court basically had to wrestle with the question of what the United States was going to do with all of these new far off places that it had acquired through conquest or in the case of Hawaii annexation. And in the case of Hawaii, the, the Supreme Court determined, in a case called Mankichi, that the intention of Congress was to, quote-unquote, incorporate Hawaii to make it a permanent part of the United States. And their justification for that was that in that Newlands Resolution, it had specified that the people of Hawaii would be United States citizens. In the case of Puerto Rico, uh, Philippines, Guam, and these other territories that were acquired after Hawaii... The U.S. Supreme Court decided in, in the insular cases that they were to be considered, quote unquote, unincorporated territories, which means that they are property of and belong to the United States, but they are not an integral part of the body politic of our country. And then they further messed things up <laughs> in a 19, I think, 20 decision that was called Balzac, where even after the people of Puerto Rico were granted U.S. citizenship by Congress, which should have been the decisive factor, right? Because if Congress grants the United States citizens citizenship, that it, it it should mean that you're going to be incorporated. And they're like, no, you're granted United States citizenship, but Congress didn't really mean to incorporate you as a permanent part of the United States, and that's where we've been in this limbo where Congress essentially has the capacity to govern us, but they don't really have this pressure to decide where Puerto Rico, what its ultimate political status should be. And in the case of Hawaii, they undertook a movement led by citizens and their own local elected officials in the territory, which held a series of votes into, with the two options, which is whether they wanted to become a state or remain a territory. And overwhelmingly, people in Hawaii wanted to become a state. And why? The answer is simple, because as a territory, you're subject to federal laws, you don't have any representation. And then on top of it all, on top of that democratic deficit, you get treated unequally under those federal laws. And that means that you can't develop economically in the same way. So it's obvious that the citizens would choose statehood over continued territory status. And after a series of votes and a lot of efforts in Congress, in 1959, Congress passed a law admitting Hawaii as a state of the union. Puerto Rico has gone through a similar process in terms of having local votes. In the last 10 years, we've had three local votes. And each time, voters have rejected the current territory status and uh, gotten support for statehood over any of the non-territory options. And now Congress is finally really wrestling with the question of Puerto Rico, but it's taken obviously many decades after that question was definitively resolved for Hawaii and Alaska, which were the last two territories the United States admitted into statehood.
1: The constitutional position of America's territories is incredibly complex. So thank you for going through that with us. I know that Guam sends some level of representation to the United States, but it's great for you to break down the non-incorporated territories. And and for us to understand exactly that. And I suppose it's, is it too easy a question just to say that at the heart, before we start to go into the internal politics of Puerto Rico, that one of the reasons why Puerto Rico hasn't become a state is because its citizens are brown. Because Hawaii, they were similarly non-white, and Hawaii was most definitely an anomalous territory to become a state because of the indigenous nature of the people. Is this just fundamentally about race, or am I missing another component here? I think race is inextricably
0: tied to the the complex of issues that are America's territorial colonialism, not just with Puerto Rico, but with every other territory. But it it isn't the only factor it really, I think, even more fundamentally in race, it's about sharing power within democracy. And there's a limited number of members in the U.S. Senate and the U.S. Congress. And if you add an additional state, they'll have to share that power. And a lot of people are scared of that. And they're also scared of what Puerto Rico's political leanings could end up being. The reality is that both in the case of Alaska and Hawaii, any predictions that tried to indicate which way a territory would lean ended up being wrong. People thought that Hawaii was going to be a solid Republican state and that Alaska was going to be a solid Democrat state. The, the tables have ended up flipping on that. There's other political motivations there. There's cultural reasons that some members of Congress cite as being concerns as to why Puerto Rico shouldn't be a state. You know, majority of people in Puerto Rico are Spanish language speakers, even though both Spanish and English are the official languages in Puerto Rico, and a significant portion of the population is, is bilingual. And almost the totality of the people in Puerto Rico want to ensure that their children are fully bilingual and capable of, of learning both languages. So yeah, racism is definitely a, a part of it. But if you actually look at Puerto Rico's racial makeup, It's a mix. There's more white Hispanics. There's Hispanics that are mixed with African and uh, native Taino. There's Hispanics that also have Afro-Latino histories. Race by itself is only one dimension of this equation. But definitely in the imagination of the American body politic, when they acquired Puerto Rico, they thought that the island was a a bunch of Alien races is is literally the word that they used in one of the insular cases that I refer. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing.
1: In November 2020, Puerto Rico held a non-binding plebiscite where 52.5% of voters selected statehood again as their preferred option. Tell us about the run-up to that plebiscite and give us an, an idea of the reason why, give us a sense, sorry, of the of the reasons why the other let like 47.5% voted against that. What were they voting for or against and who are they? Sure.
0: The run up to the 2020 vote really starts out back, I think, in the 2000s. So what you had in the 2000s was Puerto Rico's economy began to significantly slow down and essentially decouple from the the U.S. economy. As a territory, Puerto Rico's economic growth has always experienced underdevelopment in comparison to the national economy because we get treated unequally under federal laws. But we had an increase in that in in the 2000s. We had a lot of people leave the island as a result and move stateside. And the dissatisfaction with the current territory status uh, went up significantly. And in 2010, the U.S. House of Representatives passed a bill to essentially allow Puerto Rico to have a vote on this issue between statehood, independence, and a form of independence called free association. That bill passed the House, didn't pass the Senate, but locally we held a plebiscite. And in that plebiscite, two questions were asked. The first question was, do you want to continue under the current territory status, to which a majority of voters said, no, we don't, right? And and that strikes at the heart of what I mentioned earlier, which is this issue of consent of the governed, which is the foundation of what America is supposed to be about. And now it's clear that the majority of people didn't want to continue as a territory. And among the non-territory options that were presented in that vote, statehood, independence, or independence with free association, I think it was 63% chose statehood. So clearly there was a move towards that. Another vote was held in 2016. And again, statehood won with an overwhelming majority. The opposition parties knew that they were going to lose. And instead of participating in the democratic process, they just said, you know what, we'll boycott this. And pretend that because we didn't come out to vote, then the the results don't matter. So to prove definitively whether or not there was a majority of the population in favor of statehood in 2020, the same question was presented to Alaska and Hawaii eh, right before they became a state in 1958, I believe it was, which was presented to voters in Puerto Rico, which is, do you want to be immediately admitted as a state, yes or no? And the majority uh, 52, almost 53% uh, voted yes. And 47% voted no. And the ones who voted no, they voted no for many different reasons. Some people are scared of losing Puerto Rico's culture. But of course, as we know, states have many different cultures within them. There's no federal mandate for a uniform national culture that doesn't exist. Uh, Some people are afraid of having to lose their language. But again, there's no federal mandate for that. The 10th Amendment of the Constitution allows states to choose their official languages. And many states don't have an official language. Some have English and some have English, plus many other languages, including Spanish as an option, like in the case of New Mexico, for example. And other people are afraid of federal taxes because under the current territory status, In Puerto Rico, you don't pay federal income taxes on income derived from the island, so people are scared of that change, but the reality is that the majority of people in Puerto Rico fall under, or almost the majority of people in Puerto Rico fall under the federal poverty line, so they wouldn't be liable for federal taxes. In fact, they would receive benefits like the earned income tax credit and the child tax credit. So those are some of the reasons, but there's a whole bunch of others, including people who just outright oppose statehood and prefer
1: independence. Just on that, the poverty line, isn't that the main reason why many Americans in the contiguous states are against Puerto Rico becoming a state? You're too poor. We're going to have to prop this up too much. And you know what? And because of that, it doesn't feel like America. And and you know what? That's one of the
0: things that's absolutely fascinating paradox, right? Because if we look at the history of all of the territories of the United States that have become states, which is 37, right, except for the original 13, some were went directly from being separate countries to, to then be part of the United States, like Texas, right? And California was like a military district before it, it became a state. So not all of them passed through the territorial status on their way to state. But, but for the ones that did, there's a pretty consistent picture, which is as a territory, they were economically underdeveloped. And then as soon as statehood passed, The data shows that there was a process of economic convergence. And and the reason for that is simple. Private sector businesses, both local ones and other ones from the outside seeking to invest in that jurisdiction, have more uncertainty under the territory status because they're not sure if Congress can uh, use its plenary powers to treat the place as a state for some things and in another unequal way for other things. And that uncertainty depresses the potential for investment that jurisdiction also lacks the power of having members of Congress that can actively advocate for the jurisdiction's interests when federal policy is being considered. Obviously, the economic outcomes that can be generated when you don't have power to determine and have a say in the laws that are being made and how those are being executed is is going to be less. So when statehood comes into effect for Alaska and Hawaii and some of the other more recent territories in the early uh, 20th century, we see a consistent period of anywhere between 10 to 15 to 20 years where you have higher than average rates of economic growth in what is uh, economists have termed as a process of economic convergence, where they uh, converge with the national rate of economic growth. So for everyone who thinks that Puerto Rico should first get its financial and economic house in order before it can aspire to statehood, they have it backwards. You get equality first, you get full, equal playing field, and then your economy advances and grows.
1: Gotcha. Explain to to us the reintroduction of the Puerto Rico Status Act, this HR 2757. What exactly does it propose regarding Puerto Rico's political status? So this bill is the reintroduction of a
0: House bill that was passed last year in December with a bipartisan support. The bill basically acknowledges that Puerto Rico as a territory is treated unfairly, and that's not in the interest of either the U.S. citizens of Puerto Rico or the federal government. And it basically sets up a process for the U.S. citizens of Puerto Rico to vote on the three non-territory status options that are allowable and valid under the U.S. Constitution. And that's either become a state, become an independent country, or a form of independence called free association. And what it would do is it would authorize the vote to take place in Puerto Rico provide a support for there to be an educational campaign so that voters are informed and can provide informed consent with regards to their choice. If there's a majority for any of the options, then it presents an implementation mechanism so that option can actually become the reality. And Puerto Rico can exit territory status and then either become a state, become an independent country, or become an independent country in free associations. What you vote for is what you get. And, and that's
1: really what the bill is intended to do. I was starting to go down this road and then I hijacked myself when, when you talked about the poverty line, which I believe is a significant reason why there is some level of uh, inertia with many Americans as to the status of, of Puerto Rico. Let's just go back to the internal politics of the island. There are Republicans, there are Democrats. How does that break down? In terms of wanting independence so that an American in the contiguous or let's say the other 50 in the 50 states has a real sense of how they can compare and contrast it with internal politics. Give us a sense of that. Is the, does the island lean Democrats, is lean Republican, etc. And then pro-statehood, pro-independence, how exactly uh, is that reflected in party affiliation? Sure. I think this is a super important
0: question and it's absolutely essential to educate the American public about this. In Puerto Rico, the there are three political parties that are traditional political parties that field candidates, right? And in the last couple of elections, there's two kind of additional parties that have fielded candidates. The main political parties that have actually gotten control of the majority in legislature and of the governorship and of the resident commissioner seat, which is Puerto Rico's elected member to the U.S. House of Representatives, are the party that supports statehood, which is called the New Progressive Party. And then the other party is the Popular Democratic Party, which traditionally has supported Commonwealth or current territory status. And they've supported different versions of it and improving it in a number of different ways many of which Congress has just outright rejected. And then there's a much smaller traditional party, which is the Puerto Rico Independence Party. They've never gained control of the governorship. They've never controlled the legislature. They have gotten state senators and state representatives elected, but that's pretty much about it. And, and they, of course, support independence for Puerto Rico. More recently, there's two additional smaller parties. One is uh, Project Dignity, which is a Christian conservative party that has come about. And and then there is a Citizens Victory Movement party, which is a more left-wing, progressive, pro-labor party that really says that it doesn't take a position with regards to the territory status. They're more interested in solving the issue and implementing progressive policies to help out. So that's the the local political landscape. And um, the reality is that right now, Puerto Rico has a governor that is from the pro-statehood party. Its resident commissioner in Congress in the U.S. House of Representatives is also from the pro-statehood party. Um, But the legislature is controlled by the quote-unquote pro-commonwealth popular Democratic party. So that's where things are in terms
1: of the local politics just quickly because here you go I didn't check this up and I presumed that there were going to be Republicans and and Democrats in Puerto Rico so there you go there's a lesson there are (laughs) but there's a great analogy there is, this is somewhat aligned to Northern Ireland within the United Kingdom there whereas the traditional mainland parties don't actually sit in Northern Ireland but and this is by convention in the United Kingdom. So is this by convention that this happens in Puerto Rico? But then uh, as soon as I've said that, I'll just remember 30 seconds ago that you said that there are Republicans and Democrats as well. So
0: this is the, the fascinating part, right? So the political parties I just mentioned that are local, they're the ones on the ballot. They're the ones who hold candidates. But within those parties, there are individuals that identify as Republican or Democrat, at the national level. And in Puerto Rico, we do have a Puerto Rico Democratic Party, and we do have a Puerto Rico Republican Party. In fact, next weekend, or now in in mid-October, the Puerto Rico Republican Party is hosting its national convention, and they're going to be bringing mainland Republicans, including figures from the RNC and members of Congress that are Republican from the various states, to the island. And both of these political parties matter because... Puerto Rico, although it does not have electoral college votes because we're not a state, so we don't have senators or representatives that could give us that, that representation in the electoral college, we do participate in presidential primaries. So if you are a candidate or president in the Republican or the Democratic Party and you're running in a primary, Puerto Rico is a place where you can pick up votes and support on your road to getting your party's presidential nomination. So on the island, there's no kind of definitive statistic as to whether the island leans more Democrat or leans more Republican. But just to give you an idea, the governor is pro-statehood. So he belongs to that party, the new progressive party, but he's a Democrat nationally. And when he served in Congress, he served as a Democrat. Our resident commissioner, who has just decided to primary the governor and will be running for that, that, that position in this next election, she's the highest vote getter on the island. And she's a Republican nationally. When she works in the U.S. House of Representatives right now, uh, she's part of the Republican Party. The reality is that uh, Puerto Rico, um, our local politics, our everyday politics are experienced through this lens mostly of the status issue, whether or not you support statehood, independence or continuing the territory. But within those parties, each of those, there's people who lean more conservative or lean more liberal and therefore identify more with either the Republican or the Democratic Party. In my sense, I believe that if Puerto Rico were to become a state, it would be a a toss up state. It's going to be a battleground state. I don't believe that Puerto Rico is automatically going to be a democratic state, as many people in Congress believe, or many pundits believe. And I definitely don't believe that Puerto Rico will automatically be a Republican state. I think that whichever national party actively engages with the U.S. citizens of Puerto Rico, actively supports their push to statehood, and then presents candidates that really address the desires and the needs of the people of Puerto Rico, they're going to have the opportunity to win
1: explain to us the work that you do and organizations like yours obviously this advocacy for statehood for puerto rico has been going on for quite some time and then end by how you measure any level of success are you actually moving the needle so what exactly do you do and then how long you've been doing it and then what is success Sure. So
0: I've been executive director of the Puerto Rico Statehood Council since 2020. And it was a tough, tough ride in March 2020 when I had just come on board to suddenly have the pandemic hit and everything go crazy. But I I guess that's just how it rolled for pretty much everyone across the globe, right? So I've been in this role now uh, for, for over three years. And the work that I do on an everyday basis is work related to helping our organization push information out there about this issue to stateside audiences, right? Because as much support as we've gotten from the voters in Puerto Rico, who voted for statehood now on a majority basis on three occasions in the last decade, that's simply not enough. The people who actually hold the power to change this are members of Congress. So what we're doing is we're helping to educate their constituents so that they can then, in turn, communicate to their members of Congress, hey, This is something that you should take action on. It makes sense for America. It makes sense for the U.S. citizens of Puerto Rico. And they can apply that political pressure to take this from uh, what has traditionally been a second or third tier issue of importance to bring it more front and center. So Puerto Rico's importance at the national level has increased significantly in the past decade for a number of reasons. In 2014, 2015, it was because of the fiscal debt crisis that Puerto Rico went through and the risk that represented the U.S. bond market. So Congress had to pass legislation to address Puerto Rico's fiscal crisis. Puerto Rico has since uh, renegotiated over 80% of its debt, increased uh, government transparency, and increased its fiscal controls. It, it really has made a huge kind of turnaround in that way. In 2017, we came onto the national spotlight because of the issue of Puerto Rico's Hurricanes Irma and Maria and the absolute devastation that that came on there. And from our side, we took this as an opportunity to educate the American public as a whole. Hey, these are your fellow U.S. citizens. And a lot of people, I think, stateside, realize that as a territory, Puerto Ricans uh, get treated differently, even though we're United States citizens. So we do a lot of educational work uh, around that. and And now we're in a position where a lot of the post-disaster recovery funding in Puerto Rico is coming into effect. So Puerto Rico is ready for economic takeoff, and the work that we're doing is now to pass legislation in Congress and advance legislation in Congress that will actually offer the U.S. citizens Puerto Rico a choice to stop the colony and stop our current territory status, which is not helping us out and goes against America's founding values, and then choose among the non-territory options. And last year. We had success because we passed the Puerto Rico Status Act in the House. That was a huge citizen-led movement. We coordinated a ton of different visits by different supporters of statehood, and they came with youth groups, with veterans groups, with women's groups, and really taking that citizen power and responsibility into their own hands and not to say, oh, there's nothing I can do. They brought their advocacy to Congress, met with members, trained them, and they participated in letters. And, And we eventually got that bill passed the House. And we also have a statement of administration policy from the White House. So the Biden administration officially endorsed this. And now what we're working on is, since obviously that session ended and the bill that got passed in December didn't have any time to be addressed in the U.S. Senate. Now we're working on having a Senate companion bill introduced in the Senate and then building support uh, in the U.S. Senate on a bipartisan basis to address uh, this issue. And hopefully during the course of this session of Congress, we'll be able to build enough support so that hopefully either in this session or more likely in a future session, we'll have the opportunity to have both chambers of Congress pass the bill. And have this become law so that's basically what i do and that's the the measure of success that we're working with
1: why is the continued status of puerto rico one of national security for the united states
0: this is a question that i think is super important because right now so many americans are looking at u.s involvement with the war in ukraine and the efforts of Russia to try to undermine the United States on a number of different places, not just over there in, in Ukraine and, and in Eastern Europe. Uh, and that they're also looking at the global competition with China and the risk that if, if Russia succeeds with Ukraine, that China is going to see that as a green light to take over Taiwan and then essentially expand into the America's Asian Pacific sphere of influence what's interesting is that few of any Americans are actually looking at how Russia, China, and other adversaries to the United States, like Iran, are uh, trying to have and extend uh, their sphere of influence in the Caribbean and Latin America, which is literally our backyard, right? When Americans think of the United States uh, the vast majority of time, the map that they imagine doesn't really have the, the full extension of America's territory. But when you include Puerto Rico and the United States Virgin Islands in that more complete map of what the United States is, you realize that America is a Caribbean nation. And and that's something that has been fundamental to the capacity of the United States to have this uh, global superpower status. Because part of the reason why the United States acquired Puerto Rico in 1898 was its strategic military importance as a place that could be used to protect the Panama Canal? Uh, the Panama Canal is the main uh, commercial throughway through which transoceanic commerce from the Atlantic transits into the Pacific, in the Pacific, into the Atlantic. It connects the two US coasts and allows the United States to obviously project power in either direction. And Puerto Rico has been instrumental in serving as a a position from which the United States could not only protect its interests in the Panama Canal, but essentially also project its influence onto the rest of the Caribbean and South America. And a couple of months ago, we had a Wall Street Journal uh, story come out that China is building or is increasing its military presence in Cuba and is seeking to grow a intelligence gathering and military training operation there with the purpose of spying on Americans and then also establishing a forward operating presence in our immediate backyard within uh, a few miles, uh, <coughs> nautical miles of, of Florida and, and the south uh, of the United States. And last summer, we had Russia sponsor some military war games in Venezuela, with participation from Iran, from China, and a whole bunch of other countries. And the purpose of those war games was to normalize the presence of Russia and China as operating militarily and having connections with and networks in Latin America and the Caribbean. So while it's obviously incredibly important that America focuses on these immediate issues happening in the Ukraine and the threats that we're facing from China in the Pacific, We also have to make sure that we take care of our more immediate vicinity, which is the Caribbean and Latin America. And Puerto Rico is strategically located at the center of that to be the main platform from which the United States can ensure that it shows that we're here. uh, We want to be a force for democracy. We want to be a force for good in the world. We want to support economic development through international trade. And we're also not going to allow other countries that are coming in with authoritarian motives and with debt-trap colonialism to
1: essentially overpower the region. So you made a really kind of persuasive case for not only the the right in terms of the kind of like founding notion of America, the reason why Puerto Rico should be part, an integral part of the United States and not some appendage, and you've even taken this into the national security, the military sphere in the fact that Puerto Rico is strategically placed to help guard the Panama Canal but then also that America is a Caribbean nation and just as I think many Americans forget the status or aren't clear on the status of Puerto Rico they absolutely do forget the American Virgin Islands there's no two ways about that as well you're completely correct, the United States isn't only a Pacific power an Atlantic power, it's also a Caribbean power as well There must be some downsides to a push for statehood or a statehood is achieved. Maybe the manufacturing industry is going to be hit because you're going to have to be more competitive. Maybe agriculture. Tell us some downsides because there must be some that if Puerto Rico was a state, let's say in a year's time, that would actually hit the island and primarily change the nature of the island
0: this is a fascinating question and and one that I think about a lot. And for people who support independence for Puerto Rico, their fear is that Puerto Rico will lose its unique cultural character and language. I, I look at states across the United States from Hawaii to Texas to Louisiana. States have their unique language and their unique culture, and the fact that they have full rights under American citizenship doesn't take that away. But in terms of the the economic sectors that would be impacted by statehood, right now, one of the main ways that Puerto Rico's economy has operated, particularly since the 1950s, is based on a series of tax provisions in the Internal Revenue Code which Congress has modified on several occasions. But basically what they allow for is subsidiaries of U.S. uh, companies to manufacture in Puerto Rico under the legal fiction that Puerto Rico for tax purposes is a foreign country, even though everyone working in their plants and their facilities are U.S. citizens. They are protected by federal laws. They're using infrastructure that was uh, developed and maintained using federal investments. And right now, if Puerto Rico becomes a state tomorrow, those companies who have built their business model on this idea that this legal fiction that Puerto Rico for federal tax purposes, is a foreign jurisdiction, they're going to have to change their business model, right? They're actually going to have to pay taxes as a domestic corporation would in any other state of the union. And that's going to be uncomfortable for those companies. It's also going to be uncomfortable for all of the uh, individuals who have moved to Puerto Rico under a recent uh, set of laws that are which exempt individuals moving from the states to the island from from paying some local taxes and then obviously from federal taxes on all of their Puerto Rico sourced income. So that law is called Act, 5, Act Act sixty. It's also known as Act twenty and Act twenty two. And there's a lot of high net worth individuals that have decided to relocate from the states to Puerto Rico in order to essentially live there the majority of the year, become bona fide uh, residents, and then avoid federal income taxes uh, by residing on the island. Those people, they're going to have to pay federal taxes, right? And, and that's just uh, a reality of what it is. So there are going to be sectors of the economy that are going to be impacted. And there are individuals that are going to be individually impacted by that. But the bottom line is the net benefit for the vast majority of people is going to be so significant that it, it outweighs, in my view, the impact on high net worth individuals who are going to have to just pay their fair share and U.S. corporations that have been using Puerto Rico as a territorial tax haven. Those people need to pay their fair share in order for puerto rico to be a state and for the u.s citizens there to have full rights and america to protect its national securities and live up to its uh,
1: founding values then I-, I think that's a price paid so starting to wind things down puerto rico has been a united states territory for some 120 uh, plus years how much longer if you're a betting man george is this situation gonna continue My
0: objective and my goal would be to pass legislation in Congress to provide for a process for Puerto Rico to resolve its territory status, like the process outlined in the Puerto Rico Status Act that I mentioned earlier, in the next two sessions of Congress. I think it's doable. I think it's possible. It'll depend a lot on what the election outcomes are in 2024 and 2026, Right now, there's no way to predict what that is. The level of uncertainty with regards to those are super high. But what we're doing is we're building up that base of support, informed individuals on the island that are empowered to take action. And then that base of support stateside of U.S. citizens that say, you know what? This is wrong. This is not what America stands for. And empowering those people to reach out to their members of Congress and say, you know what? We need to change this. This is not what America is about. We need to give the U.S. citizens of Puerto Rico, our fellow U.S. citizens, the opportunity to choose their future and to decide.
1: Mm. You said 2026, so four years? I, I would say so.
0: in the next two sessions of Congress, I think is when we'll pass the legislation. Once the legislation comes into effect, the process for actually implementing statehood or... A transition to independence and a free association, that's going to take a few years. In the case of statehood, it may take less than the other options because it'll be less disruptive. But in the case of independence or free association, Puerto Rico would need to set up its own constitution, elect a president and elect its own legislature under that constitution, and then have significant measures of transition to, to assist the island into becoming its own separate nation. So I would estimate that would take several years to play out. But right now it's 2023. I think that by 2030, Puerto Rico is not going to be a territory of the United States and will either be definitively on the road to statehood, if not a state already, or on the road to independence or independence free association, if not already in one of those two status options. So that would be my prediction. And hopefully it's sooner. But that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking right now.
1: So Kinda of last question from me. To be honest with you, I'm not quite sure how much of a good job I've done here, George, because for me, you have overwhelming right on your side, and it's hard to really have the have the counter argument just for the sake of pushing debate on. This seems to me like a pretty much a, a slam dunk case. And it's some level of the rest of the United States just being ignorant Unaware, uninterested in the status of you know, three million plus other Americans, it just seems seems pre- pretty bizarre. But let me put half of a counterpoint that as you push harder and harder for statehood for Puerto Rico, the more you're going to become a political football. That this is going to worry. Let's say some Republicans, even though you very clearly said it's really it's a toss up state, but many Republicans are going to see brown people. Right. So, of course, they're going to vote Democrat. And all of a sudden, it's um, gerrymandering on a wider national level. We're going to introduce this other state, which is going to which is going to be not only full of people who um, they don't quite feel American, it's, some of them are going to say but also they're going to vote Democrat. This is the way the Democrats are loading the field. So you're going to have a situation whereby as you come closer and closer to success, you're going to have more and more pushback because this is a way of the Democrats sneaking in another Democratic state.
0: That's a A fantastic point. I really appreciate you bringing that up. And we've already seen some of that, right? We've seen the Senate Republican leader, Mitch McConnell, in the past several years, and several of the other members of the Senate Republican Conference, like Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz and, and a few others, know, advocate against statehood for Puerto Rico, uh, in, in some occasions equating it with statehood for Washington, D.C., which we respect, but it, it's a completely different topic altogether. It has a different set of politics, a different constitutional position from which they're Addressing their lack of full democratic rights. And for those Republicans, they've essentially grouped these two together and say, Oh, this is a power grab by Democrats. But what they don't realize is that in the case of Puerto Rico, like I mentioned, Puerto Rico has elected Republicans to the governorship, to the majority in the legislature on more than one occasions Republicans are electable statewide so it's not really about Republican versus Democrat necessarily. There's a comment that was recently made by Lindsey Graham which I think really goes to the heart of it and uh, his comment was during a rally where he was participating on behalf and in support of Donald Trump and I believe that what he said was something about if Puerto Rico becomes a state, they're going to dilute our power, right? We know he couldn't be talking about Republican power because Puerto Rico's member of Congress right now in office, and the person who's the highest vote getter at the last three elections and who's running for governor of Puerto Rico as of a couple weeks ago is Republican. So he couldn't be talking about that. What power was he talking about? Talking about white power, right? <laughs> That's the only other explanation that you could possibly have to that comment. But yeah, there's some of that out there. There's a fear of the U.S. citizens of Puerto Rico by people who don't understand that the majority of Puerto Ricans are already stateside. Part of what the territory status has done is because we're treated unequally, because our economy can't compete on an equal playing field with the rest of the states, and because we don't have full democratic rights at the national level. Um, people have moved stateside and Puerto Rico's population has decreased uh, from a height of 3.9 million in 2000 down to the current population, about 3.2. And the uh, number of Puerto Ricans stateside has increased. And right now, I think the, the latest figures from the census have us pegged at somewhere between 5.8 to 5.9 million. So the majority of Puerto Ricans, are already in the states. We've already moved stateside. We've already achieved statehood. And the majority of Puerto Ricans are already fully participating in the American body politic. They're members of Congress, both Republicans and Democrats. We had Raul Labrador, a member from Idaho, who was elected as a Republican. He's Puerto Rican, right? (laughs) And then we've had other people like Luis Gutierrez and Nidia Velasquez and Darren Soto, which are Democrats. I think that there is fear. There's always fear of change. That's something that's normal. There are political parties that are going to try to say, oh, maybe if we Democrats get Puerto Rico in as a state we will automatically get two Democratic senators permanently. I think that there's people making those kind of thoughts out there. But is it really going to pan out that way? No, I don't think so. If we look at the Puerto Rican electorate, this is a diverse electorate. We've got conservative voters. Is evidenced by the fact that we have an entire Christian conservative party <laughs> that sprang up in these last two years. Like that doesn't coming out of nowhere. Where do you think those voters would end up if the only two choices for them were Democrats or Republicans? They end up in the Republican camp. People are just trying to make their own calculus, but not really taking into account what I think is the most important thing, which is the stability of American democracy. And American democracy is strengthened when its citizens have full rights and have meaningful capacity to influence the decisions of their government. That's been the, the fundamental history of the United States is this promise of equal citizenship, and then all of these different efforts by different groups over time to try to get us closer to that, whether it's the civil rights movement, the, the movement of women uh, for vote, all of these other things have been places where these groups that were formally uh, treated unequally, and then over time, they were essentially able to convince the majority of the American public and eventually Congress and the president to take action so that they could have equal representation and participation, and America's ended up being a better place as a result of it. And we believe that's literally the process that we're going through right now with the Puerto Rico statehood movement. And we know it's a little bit different because there's people who oppose oppose statehood and want independence. And we think they should have their fair shot at voting for it. But ultimately, the majority of the U.S. citizens in Puerto Rico should decide. And America is going to end up being stronger and better and more diverse place. And it will send a message to the rest of the world that America is not declining America's still growing and that America has a democracy that's strong enough to be enriched by the diversity that Puerto Rico brings to the table. Goodness.
1: Uh, there's a ra- rallying call by George Laws Garcia right at the end for America to st- show its strength through inclusion and diversity and how the, the situation of those uh, 3.2 American citizens that happen to reside in Puerto Rico's one not only of moral right, but also of civil rights. And America has a proud tradition of admitting its historical wrongs and including people into the body politic. Georgia Laws Garcia, tell us quickly where people can maybe contact you and find a little bit more about your organization that you run. So the best
0: place to learn more about the work that we're doing is to visit our website, which is www.pr51st.com. PR51st is also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and even LinkedIn. So come check us out. You'll be able to sign up for our email list. I'm also on Twitter and other spaces. Feel free to reach out to learn more information. We have tools on our website that help you contact your member of Congress. And we look forward
1: to members of your audience participating as a part of this movement. I'm a bit worried. My, my friends over there in the Washington push for statehood say they were going to be the 51st state. So it's some existential fight to be the 51st state, is there?
0: You know what? At the end of the day, whether it's 51 or 52, I'm perfectly happy as long as we have full rights and equality and democracy for the people of Puerto Rico. And the number is immaterial to us. What matters is that America does the right thing and that the people of Puerto Rico have the opportunity to really live up to
1: their full potential that's what i'm about george laws garcia again thank you for coming on to mid-atlantic and thank you for shining a light on the issue of puerto rico and its push for statehood don't forget good people you can send me an email at royfield at gmail.com that's r-o-i-f-i-e-l-d At gmail.com. If you would like to raise a thumb and say that was good, or go, you really messed the bed with that interview. There's so many great questions you didn't ask, and I'm presuming it's going to be the latter and not the former. Don't forget, one of the great ways you can support this podcast is by going onto Apple Podcasts or Spotify and writing us um, a review. if It'd be great if it was five stars. That's not obligatory, but it's a great way of supporting the podcast and means we get more listeners to the show. And also what you can do, go tell your mother, your father, your brother to go and listen to the podcast as well. We look at US and UK news, views and topics, but it's always great to do these deep dives where we look at one specific topic in some level of detail so you understand much more about it than just maybe just like the glib headlines. We here at Mid-Atlantic are waving the banner for Washington, D.C. to have its statehood and also for the proud people of Puerto Rico to be properly accepted into the body politic of american politics and culture they are american citizens why can't they send representatives why can't they have senators also sent to washington dc george thank you for coming on to mid-atlantic Thanks thank you so you. much for your has and a pleasure thank you listener for lending us your ears for the last hour take care look after yourselves bye-bye